This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This podcast is brought to you by Tethered, the makers of the most badass saddle gear you can find. Of course, I've been using their Mantis Saddle and Predator platform for some time now, but they have a few new things cooking. And the first thing to come out is the recently released Versa Strap that they just came out with. Uh, this Versa Strap is a woven, uh, ultra-high molecular weight uh, fibers. It's usually what you would hear referred to as Dyneema or Amsteel. And this, of course, is one of the strongest fibers on Earth. It's used in a, in a host of products. But if you're using a Mantis Saddle already, you probably already recognize that Amsteel is what your bridge is made out of. What's the benefit to the hunter? Well, it's super strong, and you do not sacrifice any uh, weight issues. Literally, you get four of these straps daisy chain straps uh, which would outfit all four of your sticks and the total weight for all four of those straps is 4.4 ounces that is versus you know what you would usually get with your uh, sticks with the buckle and etc etc which is is a lot more that one strap will weigh a lot more than all four of your uh, daisy chain versus straps so they have three different versions out that you can choose from they have a mini versus strap this one is actually really well suited for those uh, smaller versa buttons so those that you know would come on the lone wolf custom gear sticks hunting bee sticks or if you're diy in your sticks and using small versa buttons that is probably the one that you want uh, again 4.4 ounces for a four pack and the average breaking strength is 50 pounds, which is crazy strong. The second option they have is the Versus strap. This one is three quarter inch, inches wide uh, and weighs four grams per foot, so 0.14 ounces. And this one you would want to use more for those uh, sticks that have larger Versa buttons like the Lone Wolf sticks, Hawk Helium sticks, and things of that nature. Again, 4.4 ounces for a four pack and 1500 pounds average breaking strength. They also have a Poly Versus strap. Now, this one is uh, three quarters inch wide. And it weighs just a little bit more, when I say a little bit more, 5 grams per strap or 0.15 ounces. And this one is perfect for versus buttons that are 1.25 inches in diameter or more at the the widest point. So again, this would be good for your lone wolf sticks, hawk helium sticks, etc. These ones, however, aren't quite as strong 
as the mini Versa and the Versa strap, uh, but the average weight breaking strength is 800 pounds, so well above what you would need for sticks. So if you'd like to learn more about their Versa strap options or any of their saddle gear, head over to tetherednation.com. That's T-E-T-H-R-D-N-A-T-I-O-N.com and check it out. We're also brought to you by Skull Brew Coffee Company. Skull Brew is a company that my wife and I started to give back to conservation. Every purchase that is made, 10% of all of our profits go back to support nonprofit conservation organizations like RMEF, Backcountry Hunters and Anglers, QDMA, and the Nature Conservancy. You, when you choose a product and you head to checkout, you choose which organization receives your portion of the of the donation. We recently launched a new product, uh, so we have now a light roast for all you light roast coffee drinkers out there. It is a Ethiopia Harar, which is a little higher in caffeine, so it starts your engine in the morning. It's killer hot, or if you're like me, I really dig it as cold brew. So head over to SkullBrewCoffee.com and check it out and pick yourself up a bag today. This podcast is also brought to you by Gumleaf USA. And you might ask yourself, what does Gumleaf make? Well, I'm here to tell you. They make some killer rubber boots. Most whitetail hunters, of course, are wearing rubber boots throughout the course of the season, especially if you are hunting some of the gnarly, nasty, swampy areas that I'm hunting. You need a boot that's not going to leak. And just unfortunately, over the over the years, I've not found a, a rubber boot, quote unquote, that could stand up to the the beating that I was going to give it. And usually through, you know, midway through the season, I end up with uh, leaks and wet feet, which doesn't help the cold feet situation. So I'm giving gum leaf boots a try, and I'm glad I did. I've had a chance to wear these out and do a little bit of scouting. They're super comfortable, but the kicker is is that they are made out of 85% natural rubber, which won't crack. So you don't have to worry about dealing with those, you know, water ingress, you know, and those cracks that are around the around your toes where you have a lot of bending going on. Um, they also accommodate up to a 16-inch calf in circumference. So if you're like me and have larger calves uh, that are disproportional to the rest of your body, these boots will, will fit. So if you're interested in checking out some new boots or if you're just tired of getting wet feet, and are about to give up on rubber boots in general for whitetail hunting, you might want to do yourself a favor and head over to gumleafusa.com. I'm actually wearing the field wellies, which are uh, non-insulated. So going not the non-insulated route this year. So check them out at gumleafusa.com. Hello and welcome to the Truth From The Stand Deer Hunting Podcast. I'm your host, Clint Campbell, and you're listening to episode number 132. Today, John and I are talking about his recent trip west, a quick whitetail update, and we answer your listener questions. So stay tuned. All right, all right, all right. What is going on out there? Happy Wednesday to you. Hope you all are doing good out there in the whitetail world. Um, one week closer. A little jealous of those out there that are that have western hunts planned because you will be hitting the timber much earlier than me. Well, I shouldn't say much earlier than me because my season will come in midish September here in the eastern part of eastern part of PA. But I'm already kind of chomping at the uh, chomping at the bit, and I think part of it is is that usually this time of year I'm like absolutely scrambling to finish stuff up. And I'm still on the fence of putting one last food plot in back at the at my at the at the family property at the one smaller family property. I frost seeded some clover this year. The clover came up like gangbusters. I hung cameras whenever that uh, whenever I was back the last time, which I want to say was probably the end of May ish, and I haven't been back since. So those cameras have just been kind of hanging, um, soaking. 
there was a, a buck bed that I'd found, which I, you know, had thought I knew where one was, there was one there. And so there's some cameras kind of monitoring that general area. So I'm looking forward to getting back and checking it. Um, so it's probably a good thing that I'm not back there because it's keeping me from getting into the, uh, getting into the timber and, and boogering anything up. But I'm kind of on the fence as to whether or not I'm going to do anything with that field. I'm sure at this point it hasn't been mowed. It wasn't like I was really, you know, I didn't go back to take care of it, mow it, uh, spray it or anything like that. It was just one of those things where I had a fall plot in there last year. I frost seeded it with clover and it was more of one of those things. Well, whatever comes up is going to come up and that's just going to have to be, you know, good enough because I wasn't going to have a lot of time to get back there. And then when I did go back, there was clover all over the place. So it was kind of of the mind where I was just going to kind of let it be. But I've kind of been on the fence as, as to going back and doing a, an overseed of some uh, some real world oats. Um, you know, it, not really 100% sure why. I just feel like I should. Um, but when reality, when I think about it, you know, I don't know that I'm going to get back to really... It, the truth is, is I may not get back to that property and hunt it at all this year. Um, really just depends on what's on camera just because, you know, for me, it is a three, three and a half hour drive. And I have a couple really good deer that are close to my house that, you know, unless there's something that's exponentially better, I don't know that I'll make it back there. Then of course I'll be headed to Iowa at the end of October, beginning of November for a couple of weeks. And by the time I get back here to Pennsylvania, you know, that part of the state, the archery season will be, uh, be over and, and, and done with, and I could go back and hunt at late archery. Um, but, um, you know, I typically don't make my way back there to hunt late archery. I usually stick around home and, 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 and do that. So that's why I'm a little uneasy because this year I, I've managed to get all my prep work done. You know, even this year with modding some gear and stuff like that, I've kind of got all the, all my ducks in a row. Things are finished. The one last thing I do need to do is I need to build a couple arrows, another set of arrows. So, um, be building up some, some day six arrows here in the not so distant future to kind of get the, my hunting arrows set up. Cause the ones I've been shooting recently, you know, of course of what I'm using at the range and stuff. And I typically like to go through and build a, build a fresh set and, and kind of test them all out and, you know, make sure everything's flying the way I want them to fly. And then I pull out the three that, uh, I felt shot the best. And those are the ones that go into the, uh, those are the ones that go into the, uh, quiver. The last thing I've been kind of doing, and I think I mentioned it on the last podcast, uh, was just, you know, going through my climbing mechanism and stuff like that, but not the harp on that. That was one thing I did do this weekend, just trying to get more slick, um, you know, and getting in and out of the, the tree with the, the, you know, the new system that I'm using, the cane method, uh, that I'm using. So I did that yesterday, uh, a little bit out in the, out in the heat just to kind of practice, to make sure everything felt good. I finally got my riggers belt in the mail. So I was able to kind of, um, you know, use that and kind of have the full system. Cause before I was using the, the climbing situation, you know, the cane method, I was using that, but I was still using the lineman's rope cause I hadn't had the riggers belt yet. So yesterday was the first time where I had riggers belt steps, like everything I needed and was able to climb and was super comfortable doing it. And it's just, it's a really quick slick way to slick way to climb. So I'm super stoked about that. I did get to the range yesterday too, or I guess this past weekend, and, and was shooting my bow, you know, I shoot a fair amount here at the house, but I wanted to get to the range. And, um, last time I was there just a few weeks ago with the bow hunting fiend, he and I were there with, uh, with Wilson, uh, my buddy, Wilson McSwain. And, uh, we got out there and, and did some shooting a couple weeks ago. So I hadn't had a chance to really stretch out and, um, shoot some longer distances at my house. I'm able to shoot up to about 35 yards, which is, which is plenty, you know, for, for shooting at whitetails, but I like to get out and stretch it out a little further. You know, if I'm, 
uh, if I have confidence out to further distance out to like 50 ish yards or whatever, I'm shooting well out to that distance and I feel really good about what I call my quote unquote, you know, uh, effective killing range for, for white tails in that, you know, 35 to 40 yard range. So got a chance to get out and do, uh, that yesterday. But the big news was that, you know, of course I know that I mentioned I had drawn an Iowa tag, um, but I had yet to receive said Iowa tag in the mail and I got a delivery on Friday and my Iowa tag was included in that mail delivery. So it is official. I am a real live boy that is going to Iowa and pretty pumped up about it. Um, John and I touch on that just a little bit in the, uh, in the podcast. So I won't really talk about that much. Um, you know, I won't belabor that point any longer into, uh, overall, I don't think I'm going to belabor this upfront any longer. You know, John and I have a cool podcast for you today. Um, you know, we got your listener questions that you guys sent in. So thank you for doing that. Always, you know, love to have you guys write questions in and, and, and John and I really kind of enjoy answering them. So do appreciate you guys getting involved and engaging with us. So that was super awesome. Uh, so we answered those and then John recently actually did a trip out West for a couple weeks. Um, and he'll talk about that a little bit. It was with a, 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 a cast of characters, everyone from, you know, Jason Matzinger and Sam Soholt. And they went out and John was, um, you know, doing his best impression. I, I, I think of a river runs through with a, with a fly rod. So we'll let him kind of talk about, uh, talk about that. And then we do have a, a quick whitetail update that we just basically, you know, kind of hit the highlights of, of what we have going on for whitetails right now. And as I'd mentioned, you know, for me, it's really, um, sitting by to my time and finishing some final tweaks to my gear and then, uh, get ready to, to rock and roll. So without further ado, we'll get John and, uh, we'll get this uh, session cracking. All right, welcome back to another episode of The Truth from the Stand Deer Hunting Podcast, and I am joined by my brother from another mother, Johnny, by God, Utah Mulligan. What's going on, dude? What's happening, brother? I always like to add by God to things. I don't know why. By God, it's well, that's that's the PG version of like MF or something. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's funny. I don't drop those on here, but I sure as hell say I'm at work, which is kind of (laughs) which is kind of kind of interesting. But West Virginia is when I really like to lay on the by God, like it's West by God, Virginia. Like, oh, yeah, that's just that just feels good. Feels right. Yeah. You know, yeah. So what's going on, man? What's new? Well, we'll, so we have some, we got some hunting related stuff to get into today, you know, cause yep. we're, we're creeping right around the corner from the season, you know, getting started. It's, you know, just about well, when this thing goes live, it'll be less than a month for a lot of folks out West, um, to, mm-hmm. to kick off their seasons and stuff, whether it's, you know, whitetail, mule deer, elk, whatever the case might be. But you just, uh, you just got back from the West. So I figured we could do just a quick recap of that before we jump into hunting stuff, dude. So you've been a, you've been a traveler and you have now turned into a fly fisherman. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't know if I've turned into one per se, but, um, yeah, so I just got back. Uh, I went out. We went out to Utah, uh, the Utah Tech. I went out there with the Prime Archery guys, and uh, we worked on some photos and video for an upcoming project that I can't uh, disclose any information Ooh. on whatsoever. But um, it is badass, and nice. um, so basically the trip. Uh, like I said, was, was hosted and kind of put together by prime archery, um, and, uh, Mr. Sam Soholt. And, uh, what we did is we, we all met at the Utah, um, park city tech. So this is the first year that it was in park city versus, um, being in snowbird. Um, so we did that for uh, four days and then we, 
Um, and which, by the way, Sam was out there with his bus and he was slinging, you know, hats and shirts and stickers and public land uh, and stuff, public land tees stuff. Yeah. yeah. With his brother, Josh and, and their dad, Jerry was out there. Jerry, Jerry's old school hustler, man. He, he grabs the crowd and brings them back to the booth. You know what I mean? It's nice. pretty funny. <laughs> yeah. So they were hustling and, and, uh, and did a lot of, did, did some good stuff with Rocky mountain elk foundation, made another big donation to those guys. And then we left, um, we kind of zigzagged our way uh, in route to Big Sky, Montana, for the Big Sky Tech. Uh, but we we hit a bunch of rivers in Idaho, uh, picked up our, our fishing license there, did some fly fishing there. And then we continued on to Montana. And before we started TAC, uh, we ended up doing some fishing in Montana. Uh, a non-resident fishing, two-day fishing license in Montana is going to set you back about 50 bones. Whoa, nice. Yeah, a little, little steep. Uh, for two days, but nonetheless, um, had to, had to put some flies in the water and, um, some of the guys caught a lot. Um, there was one day that I did not go, uh, with them fishing and they ended up hitting, um, a particular river and just hammered it, man. It was just nonstop. And I'm like, yeah, go figure the day I don't go. Like, so I might've been their bad luck, but, um, well, maybe just maybe you had poor fishing luck because the whitetail season is going to be going to be balls out. That could very well could be, and I'll and I'll take that trade off any day. <laughs> yeah, um, exactly. But I, you know, that was that was the uh, first time I've ever been fly fishing. I've never even held one in my hand before. Uh, so there was a little bit of a learning curve. I, I got some lessons from uh, from a real good friend of mine out there, and she gave me some one on one tutorial about just literally ten and two, and as she called it, tick tock, tick tock. You know, um, so that helped a ton and, you know, it, it didn't teach me how to fish. It taught me how to keep flies in the water right. and, you know, more, it's like time on stand, mm-hmm. more flies in the water, better chance you got to catch and fish. So, um, that was awesome because had I not had that, I probably would have been tangled up and, right. you know, choked myself out, you know, with the line, but <laughs> drown yourself with your own fishing line. Like, Oh Yeah. Yeah, I was but, I, I was waiting for the Instagram post of you with like a fish hook like in your ear or in like uh, or in your neck yeah. or something. Yeah, screw that. Um, <laughs> but I, you know what's funny is how cold that water is. Oh, I, bet. I mean it's, it's July and it's a hundred degrees outside, right? We're all burnt like to a crisp, and that water was so cold. I mean, I'm guessing that water was 40, 50 degrees, wow. something like that. Uh, maybe colder, but um. Damn. Mountain yeah. water. Mountain runoff. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. So it was it was so cold even that time of year. But we ended up um finally making it to Big Sky, got the prime booth set up, and we did that. Uh the tax suit um stuff for three days. And we packed up. We all headed back to Jason Matzinger's house and um hung out, had one night, uh one last night of just kind of hanging out and uh, was so cool, man. It was a nice way to cap off the trip. I mean, it was, there was a lot of stuff going on and, you know, we were doing photos and doing video and, and we were trying to fish and we were camping and, you know, tent camping and it with, uh, Jason had his Montana canvas wall tent set up and right. some guys were sleeping on the bus and some guys were in the tents and it was, uh, it was all just kind of a blur. And then that last night, everybody's just dog tired, you know, but it right. was cool to sit back and, uh, and relax with everybody and, and, 
you know, at the end of the day, not to get like all sappy on everybody, but get it's sappy. really it's okay. neat. Well, <laughs> it's really neat to like sit down and drink a beer and laugh and cut up with people from, I mean, some people were from Texas, some people are from Michigan, some from Montana, me from Iowa, you know, Sam originally from the Dakota areas and then now living in Montana. It's just, I, it's just so cool that people from all over the country and people can still all sit together and laugh and cut up and trade stories and have a good time. Uh, a bunch of like-minded people and it's just real chill and real laid back. So it was a blast. I, I never like leaving Montana, yeah. uh, but yeah. it was time to come time to come back home. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I know it's a, I don't know, man, any of those places out West, it's once you get there, it's the idea of leaving. It's like you, as soon as you leave, you're just kind of like looking at the calendar wondering what, you know, how quickly you can get back. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> you know? for sure. It's, um, well, even my wife, she was like, I, I called her, um, one, one day and, and she's like, wow, you're alive. And I'm like, what? And she's like, it's the first time I've heard from you in three days. And really? <laughs> yeah. I'm like, well, in my defense, you know, I didn't have cell service. Right. There were several days when, where we were camping that I didn't have cell service. And, and if I did, it's cause we went into town to go get, you know, a bag of ice or firewood or, you know, something like that. And I'd have service for five minutes and I would like shoot her a text. I'm alive. Right. right. Yeah. Exactly. Um, yeah. There's not a whole lot of cell service to be had out there in a lot of those places, you know, when no, you're, when you're joined, you hit the city. Yeah, yep. exactly. Until you hit those little towns and stuff like that, you, you'll pick up service for a couple, couple miles and then it's gone again, you know? Yep. But, and you know, to give, to give Sam and public land tees, uh, him and his brother, Josh, um, they're really kicking ass and to give those guys a plug. Um, it's amazing. You know, we see, you see a lot of conservation groups and, and people that are like, Oh yeah, I'm, I'm doing a wounded warrior hunt or I'm doing this and, and everybody's doing these noble causes. But I got to see this firsthand him write a check mm-hmm. and give, give checks out $2,000 here, $5,000 here. I mean, I watched him you know, give out like 10 grand in, in the time that we were together. And, uh, that's just super cool, man, because that's impactful. That makes a big difference, you know? It does. Well, I mean, I think too, it's like, you know, Sam's just a, not to, you know, jump on the Sam love train. I mean, Sam's just a rad dude. You know what I mean? He's just, he's approachable. He's he's easy to talk to. And even whenever I was getting ready to kick off the, the, the Skullbrew coffee thing, it was, you know, I, I called him and just said, Hey, I'm thinking of doing this. What do you think? have any sure. advice, you know, and he, I don't know, we talked for probably like an hour one night and he yeah. just gave me some advice on how he kind of started the public land tease things, you know, some people to talk to, some people to connect with. And, you know, he said, a, he gave me a quote because we talked about a, a host of things and the quote that he gave me, he said, conservation doesn't have competition. And I thought that that was just a really kind of poignant quote because, you know, whether you're podcasting or you have a t-shirt company, a coffee company or whatever, and you're, and you're in the conservation game, you know, sure. it's, you know, people get protective of their spaces, their little spaces, you know, their little, their little fiefdoms that they want to rule. And, yep. you know, and his point was, was basically, it's like, Hey, if it's for the greater good, it shouldn't matter who you're partnering with and that you work with X, Y, and Z company. It's like, if this company over here is willing to support the same cause and idea, why couldn't you work with them? Oh, you know, spot like, on. You know, and that yep. was kind of his approach. And and I just thought that that was really, you know, really kind of cool. And I think that's the kind of mind frame, you know, that I, I think that you were kind of 
when you when you were talking about having a bunch of like-minded people in the same place talking about the same stuff cutting up yep. enjoying each other it's like it's it's that idea that kind of yep. is that same idea kind of starts to seep into everyday people right they right. take their cues from things that they see uh-huh. outside of their own sphere and whenever those folks are playing nice in the sandbox and doing the right things it's a lot easier for people to get on board and do the right things themselves so, and that's you know and that's what i was going to say too like you know, when it comes to like my photography and stuff like that, I don't mind, you know, helping guys out. But if you're not careful, you'll spend 80 hours a week helping other people oh, out. Yeah. hundred percent. And you're, and you're not, then you're not working and making a living, you know what I mean? But, right. um, and you know, like there may be times I might not want to disclose uh, a particular location that I did on a photo shoot <laughs> right. or maybe give out my camera settings or something like that. But like you just said, when it comes to conservation, um, you know, there was a lot of photographers on that trip. And obviously Sam's a, a photographer as well. That's where the bulk of his money you know, comes from his living. Right. And he opened up his bus, let everybody come in and charge batteries because everybody was there for the, for the greater good. Like you said, you know, conservation has no competition. And, and Sam's always been one of those guys that, you know, I know my space and I know there's just certain questions that, you know, you don't ask people because, you know, you just don't do it. Like, you know, you don't ask somebody how much money they make. (laughs) Right. (laughs) You don't, you don't ask people like, you know, how hot their wife is, but right. But like, <laughs> that would be a really can, awkward one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But like, you can go to people like Sam and other guys that are in conservation. You can say, Hey, you know, I got this idea. What do you think is the best way to kick this off? Like you're not trying to steal their thunder. You're no. trying to add fuel to the fire. So, yep. Right. Exactly. Good points. Exactly. And you also don't ask for, if someone's giving you some help with some deer hunting stuff, you don't say, Hey, where, where's that spot you hunt? You know, exactly. I mean, it's like you, you say, Hey, I'm thinking of going to this area, you know, any tips you have, you know, yeah. I mean? or I'm looking at a specific spot. Have you had any experience in that area? You know, it's uh, like you kind of give some parameters and let them kind of give you what they're willing to give you. But you don't say, Hey man, you know, you think you could drop me some GPS pins where you put your, where your, where your locations are at? I'd love to go check those out. Like that's not really the right way to go about learning a new area necessarily. Yeah, Exactly. But speaking of hunting, man, we'll turn the page. So first off, I'm glad you had a killer time. I was totally jealous. Um, I did trade a text message with Sam at one point and ask him if he showed up with a Hills Brother can, you know, and I knew, I knew you would appreciate the river runs through reference. <laughs> yeah. so, so, That's great. Yeah. Yeah. And he said, no, that, that, that you had. And I said, good. And then I just like, you boys have a good time. And then that was, that was it. But I thought that I needed to throw that one out there because it was a movie reference. And since you were new to fly fishing, but yeah, which, uh, by the way, is, as far as that movie goes, we did fish the river that they filmed, uh, a lot of the, uh, like, you know, the, the scenes where Brad Pitt is like in the water and his brother realizes that his brother had become, you know, a prolific fisherman or whatever. Right. Um, we were fishing that same river. Nice. That's awesome. Yep. You should, cool. you should have passed out, you know, stark naked with your ass in the air and got an ass burn. Just like <laughs> yeah. the movie. That would have been yeah. choice. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> nice. Pretty. But, uh, so we'll switch gears to, to hunting. And uh-huh. we do have, so for everyone out there listening, as you, as you guys, you know, most of you are probably well aware, John and I do enjoy a good Q and a session where we ask you guys to write in some questions. Um, we just, I don't know, it's, it, we get a kick out of doing it cause it, it makes us think of things that we don't necessarily think about otherwise. And, uh, mm-hmm. and actually 
it makes me contemplate some choices that I'm making and maybe how I think about things, which is super cool. But before yeah. we jump into those, quick update on the hunting front for each of us, and then we'll dive into the to the question. So what's going on? Like, so you're back from Montana, you're back yep. in Iowa. Mm-hmm. Where are you at on like a scale of one to 10 getting geeked out for deer season? Um, normally it would be a nine, mm-hmm. but Niner. I have a black. Yeah, but I have a black bear hunt in Canada coming up um, in two weeks. So, um, you know, I would be dumb if I, you know, wasn't kind of immersing myself in that and getting my gear together that I'm going to need for the trip because I'm going to drive up to that. It's going to be about a 15 hour haul each way. Right. Um, But just, you know, going through the checklist, make sure I got my passport, my bear spray, uh, what camo I want to take, what systems I want to have and. Uh, what camera stuff I want to do and, and how I kind of, you know, how I want to tell the story of the hunt to, to make a, you know, make an arrow wild episode and that kind of stuff. So, um, getting the details, um, making sure that I pick up a couple of logs of grizzly and a bottle of, uh, sailor Jerry before I go (laughs) so I can get, get across the border duty free. Um, so yep. Planning that kind of stuff out. And, um, then also as soon as I get back, like literally I get home and I've got 24 hours to unpack, do laundry, and then repack for a different kind of a trip. Um, but I'll be going to Alberta with Ozonics. Um, but I'm not the hunter. I'm, I'm just the filmer photo guy and, uh, going up there on a velvet whitetail hunt to photo and film a couple of commercials and stuff for those guys. So, then I finally get back to Iowa September 2nd and it'll be like gangbusters, man. As yeah. soon as I touch down, it is 100% whitetail through the end of the season. Yeah. So nice. what, so do you have anything that you're doing right now for, for getting ready or, or do you kind of have everything yeah. set and, and ready to go and you just kind of have to do your, your last checks and, you know, checking, checking off lists whenever you get back in September. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I've actually got a couple of sets already hung, uh, on some food plots and they'll, they'll be sets that I'll, you know, I'll sit them sparingly throughout the the entire season, early season to late season. Um, a couple of cameras soaking on the lease and, uh, got some mineral sites going, you know, that I've been right. checking in. Um, next week I am going to hang probably another set or two, uh, yeah. Rut, rut sets. Right. Just, I'm just going to go ahead and get them up, get them out of the way. And so I know that they're there, get them trimmed out. And then I'm going to really start diving into setting some more cameras on public. Yes. Um, but, yeah. Yeah. But then <laughs> I'll be honest, like I really, I wouldn't say I've scaled back my cameras. Um, I mean, yeah, I, I like putting out a lot of cameras now, but I put a lot more cameras out in what I call scrape season. Right. Right. It's, that's uh, interesting that you say that because there's a, there's a Q&A session or a Q&A oh, question okay. related to uh, that. So, yep. So I won't dive into that. But yeah, yeah. I mean, that's um, I did just go spray one of my food plots with Roundup. Um, the weeds were just taking over my uh, my soybean plot. Right. <laughs> and I stopped out there today 
to check on it and everything's dying off. And the only thing green is, is just my real world beans. So That's we're good. good. That's a good sign, man. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's a, I, I'm kind of in the same boat. Everything's out for me. It's now just a waiting game. Um, uh-huh. you know, I did do one card pool and I think we talked about that before. I have a good deer. I actually have two yep. good deer that, that I know of the whereabouts, you know, lots can change between now and then, but it's just a, a good feeling to know that, you know, there's a handful of good, good deer PA as, as you know, as you know, you've spent enough time here with trade shows and have enough buddies in Pennsylvania that, you know, it's finding a good deer on a piece of property in Pennsylvania. Isn't necessarily a given, you know, even a, even a decent one. So when you do have a couple good ones floating around, it's always makes you go breathe just a little sigh of relief going, okay, I'm not going to be scrambling. Hopefully as the season hits to try to figure out what my plan is, I can actually start to make one maybe a little bit earlier. So I do have to check one other camera, um, just cause it's on a new piece. And I don't know anything about it. I did a speed scout of it and I need to see if I even have the camera in the right spot. And that'll probably happen this weekend. And then, mm-hmm. and then from there, it's like, I'll kind of let them alone. And then kind of similar to you, it'll be, you know, once they start transitioning and, and, and so forth, I'll start moving cameras to get ready for, you know, September when they, you know, go hard horn and stuff like that. And that'll probably happen end of August, August ish, you know, and put those in place so I can just let them alone. But yep. That's kind of the Cliff Notes quick version update of what's going on for for deer hunting, shooting my bow a lot, and uh, getting my climbing gear and mechanisms and stuff in place. But otherwise, you know, just biding my time, man, and and waiting. My on my scale, I'm probably at like a, I'm at like an eight already. I think, like I'm. Uh-huh. You and I talked yesterday on my drive back from from work, and I was, I think I yelled in the phone once. You know, all, all hyped up on the drive. You know, getting pumped up for deer season already, but. I might need to try to relax myself a little bit because I got a little ways to go. So, <laughs> yeah, I'll try to maintain. But let's go ahead and jump into some Q and A. And I'm gonna launch this first question over to you, only because I have a vested interest in your answer since I'm coming out. <laughs> to, well, that's well, that's the other thing. I don't know that I've even given the update on the podcast that I officially drew my Iowa tag and will be coming to hunt with one Johnny by God Utah Mulligan. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Yeah. So, yeah, it's awesome. I remember when I sent you a message and I'm like, Hey dude, um, jump on the Iowa site and, you know, confirm that you drew. And you're like, yeah, I I don't think the results are coming out for a few days. (laughs) I'm like, Hey, jackass, I'm the Iowa resident. Go check the site right now. Well, the bummer was, is I was up at that, uh, it wasn't a bummer, but like I was at the BHA thing in Morris PA with zero cell service. So I couldn't oh, even check. Yeah, like yeah. I had just enough service to get like random texts. So I was even surprised I got your text. You yeah. know what I mean? And then I was scrambled really quick and was trying to get on. I was like, you got to be kidding me. I don't have enough service to even get on the site to look. So I had to wait till like the weekend was over. I think I actually texted you whenever I got off the mountain because I checked while I was driving yeah. and I was like, hell yeah, got my tag. So yeah, it yep. was a little, it was a little delay for a guy who wanted to draw an Iowa tag so bad. I wasn't real good about staying on top of when I was going to find out. So, <laughs> so now I'm just waiting for it to come in the mail, and it's I actually need to call tomorrow because it should have arrived like this week. I think was the fourth uh-huh. week. So, hopefully it'll be in the mail soon. But 
So that's the other big news that I had, but we won't delay. I know we've teased this Q and a like three different times now. So we'll just go ahead and, and dive into it. So my, yeah. my vested interest question is, and I don't have folks names. So sorry, sorry guys that wrote in. I didn't have time to grab the names, but you know, listen, listen closely and you'll know which, uh, which question was yours. And uh, if you did write in, we appreciate you guys taking the time to do so. So the first question is, if you could only hunt one week or a handful of days of the rut or November, whatever, however you want to frame it, what dates would you hunt? Um, I'm going to be really greedy okay. and I'm going to say, oh, was, was there a limit on how many days or if I just box in a, a group of days, box in a group of days. He, he says like okay. roughly, roughly a week, you know, but we can, we can do a week plus like, you know, plus or minus on each side. Okay. So if I, if I used my vacation time correctly, um, October 31st to November 15th, mm-hmm. uh, those, that, that two week block. Um, if I did not use my, or I don't have a lot of V, v time, um, November 7th, 8th, 9th, those, those three days have proven to be the most effective for me for, for seeing piles of bucks running around. But if anybody has been listening to the podcast for, you know, the last two years and will recall, I'm not the biggest fan of the rut. Mm-hmm. I'm more of a strategic I want to locate the locate the critter. I want to go in and I want to go kill him. I don't want to have it on chance, right? Um, so to speak. But, um, but again, if if I if I have to say, hey, boss man, it's February and I need to let you know what days I need off for the hunting season, right? Then yeah, I'm going to put all my eggs in one basket and I'm going to go rut hunting. You know what I mean? Um, but yeah, so that November 7th, 8th, 9th, plus or minus a couple of days, you know, before, you know, and after that block, uh, are, it's just, it's just magical. Right. Right. I think for me, it's, uh, you know, I'll, I'll give the smart ass answer first and then I'll give like the legit answer. I guess the the smart ass answer would be if you know the area that you're hunting really well, whatever dates, you know, that those are going to come in. You know, like if you're talking about the rut, you know what I mean? Like if you have a property that you're familiar with, I would pay attention to your trail camera data, especially around doe bedding areas and kind of figure out when they're cycling in and cycling out. So you kind of can start to map your does and when they come in and out, because as long as those does continue to use the same bedding areas year over year over year, those things should turn on plus or minus a day on either side, you know, you know, year over. Yep. The non smart ass answer, I think for me would be, I think it's state dependent, right? So for me and talking to you, you know, coming out to Iowa, I I knew that I wanted to be there for the first two weeks of November. You know, I knew I didn't want to do last week of October into the first week of November. I knew that my odds and my, my activity was probably going to be better if I had more time on the backside of that, like seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12 kind of, kind of timeframe. Yep. So I timed it to where I would be out there, you know, the first full two weeks of November. I think I'm there through like the 14th, 15th, something like that. I think I'm leaving the 15th. So I should yep. hit that prime time, which is, which is killer. Um, oh yeah. It's it's money. Yeah. And then if I'm going to Ohio, you know, I'm probably depending on which spot in Ohio I'm going to, 
I really like that six, seven, eight, and nine day. Um, just the one area that I hunt, like I know that that ridge turns on religiously during that time frame, and I see bucks anytime I hunt there. Like no yep. questions asked. In Pennsylvania, it's a little bit different. Like Pennsylvania is weird. Like the eastern part of the state where I live, I honestly think, and the, the bummer is, is like I'm usually not here to hunt it because I'm usually in Ohio or this year I'll be in um, in Iowa. But it actually is the best during gun season, which is like the weekend like after or like the week before Thanksgiving, which in PA you can't hunt the week. Like there's a week between the end of archery season and the beginning of rifle season, which is probably the best week for the rut in Pennsylvania. And in my opinion, it's like the third week in November, Um, except on the Eastern part of the state, like that stays open. So that to me is probably like the best week in, in PA and the Western part of PA, you know, it's like, it's that second week of, of November or I would actually probably start to prioritize the time frame right around Halloween versus like end of November, if I was going to prioritize the timing. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I think it's a little bit state dependent on where you're, where you're at. Um, oh, for sure. Yeah. Know. I mean, the further you go down South, maybe a little, yeah. little sooner, maybe a little later, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Yep. Yep. For sure. I can definitely tell you like where, where you're coming in this area. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. The last three years, um, the most activity and the big bucks on their feet are between November 7th and November 12th. Nice. I mean, and yeah, I mean, when we talked to Don Higgins too, I mean, Don, he would tell you he wants the dates right after Thanksgiving. Those, oh, are, yeah. those are his favorite, those are his favorite rut dates. If he's going to hunt rut and he was looking for a big buck to get on his feet, he's yeah. like, man, he's like that when they start to get ready to cycle in for the second time and the first batch of does have been bred and the, and the does that didn't get bred the first round, or coming in, he's like, you got a lot fewer does and a lot more traveling the big boys have to do to find them. Sure. So, and, and, and it makes sense. Mm-hmm. I, I know a lot of people that love that Thanksgiving time frame. And mm-hmm. just for, for me, um, you know, the biggest buck I ever saw on the hoof was three years ago on November 12th, midday, uh, well, at 2 p.m., you know, cruiser. Mm-hmm. Um and he was downwind of a doe bedding area. Um, two years ago, uh, second biggest buck I've ever seen in my life was on November 8th. And he was checking a scrape line at 830 in the morning. And last year on November 8th uh, is the most magical day I've yeah. ever seen in the woods in my life. And then I killed a buck at uh, 430 or 5 p.m. Yeah, that day, but could have could have killed other bucks, you know, all morning long. Yeah, that day was just ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, insane, yeah. insane. That you know, you got to have days like that to like, you know, it, it almost like refires you back up again. Like mm-hmm. I'm good for another couple of seasons. Yeah, you know, like <laughs> <laughs> it's like yeah, it's like at the end of the season whenever you're just you're ground into the into the dirt, you know, like mentally, physically, emotionally, especially if you've had kind of a uh, year, you know, maybe you didn't see the deer you wanted to see, or maybe you, you, you know, you, you shanked one or like missed one or flew one over its yep. back or whatever. Well, anything could happen, right? It's, it's bow sure. hunting. So there's a lot of things, a lot of variables. Yep. And it's like, you're, you're looking at, you're thinking to yourself and you're climbing into the, into your tree and you're just like, good God, why do I do this? I'm up at like zero dark 30. I'm getting no sleep. You know, I'm not seeing any critters. I'm just looking for proof of life at this point. You know what right. I mean? And then all of a sudden, boom, like someone flips the rut switch and it's just like magic. 
you know, and then it's like, exactly like you said, you're like, oh yeah, I could sit out here for three years straight. No problem. Just for the chance to see that one time, you know? Oh yeah. Yeah. But so, uh, as we did a little foreshadowing earlier, I think we covered that one pretty well. So I think the net net is, is that there's a lot of good dates. Think about where you're hunting. Do you have camera intel that's telling you what might be good and when, and then just pay attention when you're in the timber hunting spots, you know, you'll kind of start to be able to feel out when those woods are starting to turn on and and so forth. If you spend enough time in it. Yep. Um, so the next one is we did some foreshadowing about scrapes because you were talking about transitioning your cameras to scrapes. So this one's not specific to cameras necessarily, but I thought we could take a wider approach to it to talk about scrapes in general. But the question is specifically, do we use mock scrapes and how do you set them up? And I and like I'm interested to hear your answer to this because I'll yep. admit I'm I'm not great at using mock, mock scrapes. But I have mm-hmm. a I have an approach I'm going to try this year as a you mm-hmm. know as a as a new way to kind of hopefully you know increase my 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 inventory or my success on my mock scrape. So how do you use them? I love them. I know that you I will, love them. We've, yeah, we've talked I love them. <laughs> um, so you know, any area that I can get in and out of really easy uh, that I can check. Uh, I love field edge scrapes. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I've never done mock scrapes in, in the, like deep into the timber. Um, but I love mock scrapes on field edges. And a lot of it for me is very much inventory. You know, um, I'm checking to see what new bucks are going to start cruising through that area. And maybe there's some bucks in the area that I just didn't get on trail cam throughout the year. Maybe it'd be on a mineral site or in a food plot or something like that. Mm-hmm. but, um, a combination of, I like using the hodag licking sticks. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like using those in the middle of food plots. And if you've got say a two, three acre food plot, and this is just dumb luck, right? Mm-hmm. I have noticed over the years, if let's say I had a clump of weeds in a food plot, that my roundup didn't get, or maybe I had a down limb that fell into a food plot, a big branch. Mm -hmm. I just kept noticing, like it didn't matter where the deer or, you know, the bucks or the does came into the food plot. There was about a 70% chance that at some point they were going to, going to end up walking by or standing near that tall clump of weeds or, or tree limb or branch or something that was laying out there. And I'm like, what the, like, you know, what the heck's going on? And then I started to realize like it's becoming a scent concentration point, you know? Yep. So, um, I was, I had a conversation with, uh, Jeremy Moore from Hodag and Jeremy's like, well, I've got something brand new and basically sent me essentially like prototypes. And, um, I'm like, dude, this is too for like what perfect timing. Like I can't wait to try this. So I use the hodag licking sticks uh, in, in food plots. It's either that or run 500 trail cameras. Now I can run one or two Um, field edges. I love doing mock scrapes. I do them a lot. Um, I've traditionally used Mrs. Dopey. Yep. He's local to me and, and Sam's a, he's a pretty damn good wealth of information. You know, he's three, 200 inches. So yeah. Um, you know, he, he's got a lot of Intel that comes with a, with that bottle, you know what I mean? Um, and 
this year I am doing something. I noticed um, Don Higgins using the ropes. Yep. Um, when I was out at Don's personal farm, walking around with him, uh, came across one of the ropes and saw not just the rope, but like the location that he had the rope in. And it made a lot of sense uh, as to where he had it. So I went to the hardware store last month and bought a couple of uh, 10 foot strands of, you know, some old nasty looking uh, Jack Sparrow rope. And I'm going to be using that as well this year uh for some for some mock scrapes but yeah i'm I, i'm a i huge on mock scrapes i love it i have identified so many bucks um i've attracted new bucks you know i've had deer that i ran cameras all year long never got a picture of them and then 24 hours of starting a mock scrape brand new buck right uh that i'd never seen before so uh, yeah I, i'm a big believer in them yeah so it, it's I, I want to believe it's kind of it it's kind like of like Santa Claus yeah that or like aliens you know it's like yeah. I, I want I want to believe and no I I've seen it work too many times for other people you know and I just I I think again it's I think some of this stuff depends on where you're at too you know what I mean sure. I think in some states with a lot of pressure and stuff like that you know some of this stuff doesn't work it does, it's not that it doesn't work it may just not work as well right so you know in Illinois or Ohio or Iowa or wherever, where there's not quite as much pressure. It's like some of these things will draw deer in maybe in more numbers. It's not saying it doesn't work in PA. It's just like just making up numbers, but like if 10 comes to check out yours, two might check mine out. doesn't mean it didn't work. It just, the volume is different. Right. Sure. So I think my frame of reference might've been a little off earlier whenever I was trying to use them. Um, I've just not had a lot of, a ton of great success with it, but this year, much like you're talking with Don, the ropes, I'm actually going to give it another go this year, and I'm actually going to use the model that Jeff Sturgis uses. And what mm-hmm. he likes to do is very something very similar to Don. Only what he's found has worked for him well is actually using, you know, he'll cut like a a ten foot branch off of a off a tree that has some decent weight to it, so they can't just knock it around real easy. So they can actually press up against it and use some paracord to tie that off of a branch and hang that down over an area he wants to create a create a scrape. He doesn't use any lure. He uses the old-fashioned, what you might call the bush light version of a uh, of a mock scrape, which is just uh, take a leak in it before you walk away, and then and then let it be, and it works for him. and And that fits more like my mold probably because I've tried just about everything else at this point except that. So I think this year that's going to be my my approach is the uh, is the Jeff Sturgis approach, and then. You know, I don't have a whole lot more to say on that, only because I, you know, I'll have my my results, I guess, here this uh, this um, this fall. But mine though aren't going to be necessarily on field edges. Mine are actually going to be a little further in the timber. Most of this is going to be, um, you know, public areas, at least here on the eastern part of the state, where you can still use those things. The western part of PA, you're not able to use lures and stuff like that for because of you know CWD reasons and stuff like that. So. It's only really out this way on on the public that I hunt, and I'm going to be able to do some stuff like that. So I'm I'm hoping I get some decent results. I'm hoping a couple of the good deer that are around come around uh, and check it out because, uh, like I said, I want to believe. But at this point, I've just not had a lot of a lot of success. But so yeah, it'll be in, it'll be interesting. I'm going to give it another go. If it doesn't work this time, I'm not quite sure what I'll do at that point. I might just move to Iowa just so I can run mock scrapes. Which yeah, would, which wouldn't be a terrible idea. But uh. So the next question, this one, I'm going to flip this one around on you, John. You ready? Yeah. 
All right. So this fellow here asked if we could uh, please speed through Jackson County, Ohio, so he can pull us over and bullshit with us, which I said is is a possibility when I come through Ohio the, on my way to Iowa. So if I do get pulled over, hopefully it's this fella, which would be a lot nicer. But yeah. I'm going to ask you as you as the former cop, right? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Have you have you ever pulled someone over and was like, hey, this guy's kind of a cool dude. I kind of would just want to chat this guy up for a second. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I, I mean, hold on a sec. My phone just did something weird. Um, I have pulled people over before that. I'm like, wow, that's job security. Um, I've had that happen a few times. Um, I, I've pulled over some interesting people. I mean, you know, back home, um, you know, we had a lot of the Bengals players and stuff like that. Oh yeah, that's right. Yep. Yeah. Um, and I'm trying to think, I have pulled people over in their vehicle doing things that they probably shouldn't have been doing. They weren't yeah. necessarily breaking the law. <laughs> they <just laughs> probably shouldn't have been doing it. But right. uh, no, I can't say that I've ever pulled anybody over and been like, "Oh man, this is a cool cat." You know, I'm glad I'm glad I pulled this person over. Right. Uh, yeah. You know, I we well, we had this is kind of funny. So. Back in the day, um, we had a couple of like the eternal bachelors, you know, uh, that were cops. And there was actually some girls that admitted to like speeding through the town and hoping that particular cops would pull them over. You know what I mean? Um, I'm like, geez, you ever just try to go to like the bar? You know what I mean? Like it's cheaper. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Way cheaper. No points and uh, keeps your insurance premiums low. How's that? Yep. That's funny. How how close is Jackson to uh Jurassic? That's where uh, I'll be that's where I'll be this weekend. Yeah, I'm not sure exactly where Jackson's. I feel like it's uh where Jurassic actually I don't think it's far from Zanesville, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I, I think I don't it's think a, it is. All I right. think it's just a little south of Zanesville, yep. if I'm not mistaken. Here's here's my statement for life. Anybody that wants to hang out with me or you, like I don't think I'm that cool. So if somebody wants to hang out with me, I'd be stoked to hang out with them. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. It's like I, I go for days and not and not speak to like, you know, people other than outside of work. Right. You know what I mean? So it's I'm in the same boat, man. It's like when I find someone that's like kind of, you know, that's cool that wants to hang out. You know, I'm like, yep. I'm like, oh, hell yeah. You want to hang out? And when they leave, I'm like, you sure you want to leave? Yeah, one more drink. <laughs> nice. All right. So hopefully if you pull me over in Ohio, just let me off. Don't give me a ticket. There you go. Yeah. Um, next question is the best mobile stand and sticks, the pros and cons of those and single fold, uh, single fold down steps versus double fold down steps. So we'll take the first part first. We'll do that. You know, that will be logical. Best yep. mobile stand and sticks. What are the pros and cons of like the high end mobile stands and sticks? Um, so I like, I, I really do like my lone wolf custom gear stand and sticks. Mm-hmm. Um, super lightweight. Um, I love the, that the seat feature folds up and makes a shelf for my backpack. That was always a problem is getting your backpack slung over and getting it to stay in that position, you know? Um, so I dig that. Um, and I think with the way that that seat flips up with, so for me, you know, I'm going in with a camera arm and camera gear and that kind of stuff. And that camera arm 
is always mounted on the side of a pack, not always on the inside. So mm-hmm. my load is not usually even distributed anyways. So with having that shelf that I'm really looking forward to that and that's going to yeah. be super awesome and, it, and it's lightweight. So that's going to be cool. Right. Um, on a price point model for traditional stand and sticks, I simply just don't think you can beat XOP. Right. Um, you know, XOP and Lone Wolf Custom Gear both have that extended length on their steps. So it kicks out and curves up a little bit. Mm-hmm. So it's longer than the traditional Lone Wolf portable tree stand sticks. Um, I have slipped off, you know, mm-hmm. um, you know, you get muddy boots and whatnot, and those trees are at an angle. So I, I I'm, you know, I'm huge on that. I mean, I, I, I can't say that I don't like Lone Wolf portable tree stands. I used to work with those guys and, uh, but they're all Andre's patents and, right. uh, XOP is cheaper than Lone Wolf portable tree stands. In my opinion, it, it's better. There's improved properties. Um, and then Lone Wolf custom gear is, is a little more high end, but it's super, super lightweight. So if like, you're the guy that's going to go in and out every time and, set up and tear down every time you essentially only need one stand. Uh, why not spend the extra money and have a little bit nicer, nicer piece. that's lighter now for you. I mean, I know that, you know, you're more of a, the, you know, more of the saddle guy. Yeah. So yeah, you, you kind of have a little bit different approach. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, it's, I, I, I'm a saddle guy through and through at this point, but I, you know, I'm not naive to, to say that, you know, stands don't, that they don't have their place in, in an arsenal. You know what I mean? It's like, you know, I mm-hmm. hunt, out of my saddle like 95% of the time. But when I come to Iowa, it's like, I'll have a stand in the truck, you know, just yep. in case. Right. Cause if yep. there might be a place that I just want to go in and want to hang something, I want to let it. And then what I typically do is I'll hunt out of the saddle out of the stand. That way I can still use the platform the same way. Um, but you know, for me, it's like, I kind of fall in this in a similar camp, you know, to, to you, I think a lot of the top quality stands that are out there now, whether it's, you know, again, to your point, it's like Lone Wolf custom gear, they did a great job coming up with something that I think if you're a mobile stand hunter, like you should just ante up and, 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 and get the Cadillac, you know what I mean? Cause it, it's going to last you for a long time. And it's really the tool that you, that you probably really need as far as price point goes, I'd be right there with you. It's like, I think the stands lone wolf and XOPs are, are similar to your point. They're all Andre's patents. So you're still getting an Andre designed stand and XOP. Yes is a better price point. And I think to your point that they have um, made some modifications that kind of elevated a little bit in terms of some of the features and stuff like that, you know, cause I've hunted out of both, right. It's like I've hunted out of those that, cause Chad runs all XOPs and I've run a lone wolf. And, and so I, I've got to kind of use both and, you know, XOPs stand toe to toe. And if, if price points, you know, a thing that you're looking at, then, you know, I think XOP is the, the obvious choice. Um, as far as sticks go and stuff like that, you know, I'm actually, I modded my sticks this year. And so I took some old lone wolf sticks and, 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 and cut them short. And on the question of, you know, fold down steps or, you know, a single or a double, in my opinion, if you can do the double, then I would do the double. Um, I'm mm-hmm. just finding it to be a lot more convenient to have a double step, at least on the top. So I've actually on my mods took the single step off and put a permanent double step on the top of my sticks. Um, which has been which has been nice, uh, but if I had it to do over again, I'd probably get a stick that has the fold down, you know, double version. Um, I know Hawk Helium makes a really good uh, double version step that a lot of people like, and is really easy to mod to make a short stick if that's if that's what you're into. Um, as far as like, and we'll flip this. I know because John, because you mentioned, you know, I'm a, I'm a saddle guy. 
you know, I think the pros and cons of saddle versus tree stand is just, you know, what are you looking for? You know, if you're comparing them to tree stands or both of them can get the job done. It just depends on what, you know, what you want. You know, it's, I, I don't think my personal opinion is like, I don't know that a person who's a good deer hunter is going to kill any more or less deer out of either of them, other than maybe they're more confident in one over the other. So that might be the reason why they get it done. Um, as far as saddles go in terms of comparison, um, you know, I think there's a lot of, I don't think there's terrible saddles out there. Just like, I don't think there's terrible stands or terrible bows. When you get to the high end stuff, they're all pretty comparable. They're doing a good job of, of advancing the technology. But for me, it's like, I, I use a tethered, you know, saddle because, you know, when I was doing my diligence and, and doing my homework, you know, the guys who were making it were, were important to me. The fact that they were veterans of saddle hunting, even though it was, everyone th- thought it was kind of this new trend. that has been around for a long time and they've been in the game for like, you know, 10 to 20 years, some of them, you know, and so they've done all the DIY stuff to do all the learning through making their own stuff to figure out what worked and what didn't work. So there's a ton of knowledge that they had outside of just the gear that they could share with, you know, new saddle hunters to help them with their learning curve. And then it's the lightest on the market. And those dudes put out tons of content to help the saddle community. And that was really kind of what sold me was that and the safety aspect of it. Um, the only other thing I'll add is steps. Like I've changed this year too. It's like, I'm probably going to be using, um, uh, some wild edge steps this year, um, with a cane method of climbing, which is more of a pull-up method and using a riggers belt to clip into steps as opposed to a lineman's belt. So I'm not dealing with branches and stuff. So that's the other thing that I'm, you know, kind of making a move to. So even for tree stand hunters, it's like, I wouldn't discount other climbing mechanisms. Um, especially if, you know, if you like the, um, the familiarity with a tree stand, but maybe you want a climbing mechanism that's going to be a little lighter or whatever to lighten your load. If that's what you're looking for, then there's other climbing options out there that you could look at, whether it's steps or whatever the case might be, um, that you can kind of bundle them together. So I don't want people to think that they can only use, if they have a stand, they can only use sticks. It's like, no, there's a lot of options that you can use for climbing, um, and find the right thing that's going to work. That's going to work for you and your setup. Um, so I don't know that there's necessarily hard and fast pros and cons other than, you know, get out there and just try a bunch, man. It's like, that's what I did this summer. It's like, I tried all kinds of climbing methods this summer to try to figure out what it is I was going to use. And I kind of landed on for early season when I don't have a lot of bulk and clothes on, I'm using wild edge steps with a cane method. Whenever it gets cold and I don't have as much flexibility, I may end up transitioning to my short sticks just because, you know, it's, I feel a little bit more comfortable on those and, and might feel a little safer in using those whenever I'm not as, as, you know, as uh, flexible. So I don't know. Anything else to add? Is, is there anything I missed? Um, no, I mean, that's, that's pretty much got it covered. I, I like the double sticks too. Sometimes like however I ascend is not how I might descend. Mm-hmm. So sometimes you do that stupid little, uh, tree stand, tree stick shuffle where you like rotate from your left foot to your left foot. Like, Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Like if you started, like if you know when you start, you're like, man, I need to have the, I need to start on my right foot because I'm, I need to end on my left foot at the top so I can step in, to uh-huh. stand to the right. Yeah. You know, it's like I don't know how many times I've done it and I've got up to the top and I've got the wrong peg and I'm like, son of a, you yeah, know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's um, yeah, I, you know, um, it, weight has never been like a huge issue for me. You right. know what I mean? Yeah. Like, uh, now if there's a difference in ten pounds, sure. But like two, three, four pounds, I, I don't know. Like, you know, I mean, yeah, no, I agree. I agree with you. It is what it is. Yeah. Yeah. And and for me, it's like, 
you know, I know a lot of people will say, and, and I mean, I know you've said this too, just like, you know, hit the weights a little harder, which is yeah. completely, <laughs> completely valid. Right. Yeah. Um, it's kind of a dick statement. Right, from me, no, but, but, you know. it's, but it's true. You know what I mean? It's like, if it, if the two or three pounds is going to really bother you, you know, that's like, you might want to think about, you know, hitting the weights or doing something to overcome that and rather than, you know, changing all your, all your gear up necessarily. You yeah. Know, for me, a lot of it was, and I didn't realize this until I got into the saddle and started using the saddle was yes, the weight, the, the weight cut was nice because at this point with my climbing method and my saddle, all my ropes, even if I throw my camera, my little camera arm that I have in there an Ozonics unit in my pack, I'm still at like 15 pounds total, like in my pack right. and it right. all literally fits in my fanatic pack. I can put it all in my pack. Yeah. So, you know, and you know, you know me, John, it's like, I'm not a big dude. Like I'm not super tall, you know? And so for me, wielding stand sticks that are like half my height, it's just, it's a lot for me to try to get through the timber as far as like sure. just the bulk of it, you know oh, what yeah, I mean? Yeah. And yeah. so for me, that was the biggest difference of, of transitioning was like, wow, when I walk through the brush, I'm not making as much noise because I don't have as like, I'm walking through as my body type going, I can slide mm-hmm. through there. And then when I go to slide through there, it's like, well, my stand got caught. My sticks got oh, caught, yeah. you know, yeah. stuff like that. And now it's like, if my pack makes it through, I won't like, I, I make it through, you know yeah. what I mean? There's no if, ands or buts. Um, you know, not to say that you can't make it through quiet without, with other methods as well. And that's why it's like, I was saying it's not a one size fits all. I think everyone has to kind of like experience those things figure them out and they'll find the right solution for themselves. Well, yeah. I mean, that's just it. I mean, you just, you just go do it and then, and then you figure out like, okay, this is what I need to change or what I need to adjust on. And then also things change too. I mean, you know, what, you know, what was the, the things that I was doing to change my hunting, um, five years ago is different from what I'm doing now. You know, it's just always evolving. And, that's the beauty of eBay, right? Yeah. <laughs> You're like, well, I don't need that gear anymore. Sell that and get something different, you know? Exactly, exactly. All right, so I think we covered that one pretty uh, pretty thoroughly. So the next one is uh, this fellow writes in and says, what does your mid to late summer scouting for public land look like? So you want to take this one first? Or you want me to take a stab at it? Uh, Well, I- I'll take a stab because my answer is really, really quick. Okay. Um, if it's if it's a new piece, um, I'm probably going to do it more on the fly. Mm-hmm. I'm going to kind of scout my way in uh, that first day setting up, or you know, scout from afar by maps or something like that. But right. um, yeah, I I don't scout summer property for whitetails like I used to. Right. Yep. I ju- I just don't. I I think you can. People say, oh, well, you know, you, if you don't, then by the time the hunting season comes and the season started and you haven't done your scouting and you're unprepared and you're like a dog chasing a tail, maybe, you know, yeah. um, I don't like chiggers. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, Second that. yeah, yeah. And I mean, it's just, I mean, I'm not going to pull punches here. Like it sucks. It's a hundred degrees. It's humid. You're sweating your butt off. Um, you're out there, you know, tromping around looking for stuff that's not going to look the same that it's going to look in November and December. So let the cameras do more of the work, mm-hmm. back it up and scout like you and I did scout it with snow on the ground, you know, yeah. after the season. Yeah. No. And honestly, my answer isn't going to be too terribly different from yours. I mean, I think, 
you know, I mean, I think there are things that you can do. It's like, look, if you if you have to put boots on the ground, it's like, by all means, I agree with John. It's like, I, I'm not a big fan of doing late summer scouting. A lot of times if I haven't gotten to a piece in, you know, before late summer or before the, you know, spring green up when, it, when green up gets real heavy, like I'm probably going to let it alone. Like my cutoff is really like May. If I haven't gotten in there during, in, you know, like prior to, you know, Memorial Day, I'm probably going to let it alone for the most part. Like, I'll go in to swap a camera if I need to, to check it to see, especially if it's a new piece, to see if I'm getting inventory that I was expecting. And that way, if I need to move it, I can move it. But I'm not going in and doing, like, an all-day an all day scout session necessarily. Um, you know, what I will do, though, is I will look at, like, Onyx and start to look at what are my access points and stuff like that. You know, where are those areas so I can start to cross some stuff off the list um, that that have easy access, knowing other people are going to use it. Um, I will look at terrain features, you know what I mean? And try to figure out where my saddles are at, where my pinch points are at. If there's some fields around, is there, is there an inside corner I can use? Is there a double inside corner that I can possibly use? I start looking at that kind of stuff to start to earmark quickly. Like where are the main points? Number one, that are close to entrance that hunters are probably going to get to. And I can know that I can probably cross those off as well. And then look at the secondary kind of terrain features behind those initial easy to get to ones and say, are those ones, what do those, what do those look like? And do they look like they're going to be promising? And then if you're really nerdy, like I like to be sometimes I'll actually look at like historical wind data and start to see like during the course of the year, what's the wind direction and what wind directions would play for those potential terrain features. And then understand like from that perspective, which ones are going to likely play. And then from there to your point, John, I think, you know, more and more, and you and I've talked about this, we've talked about it together. We've talked about it with Cody it's like just starting to trust yourself more and go in and scout to hunt and read hot sign and, and go where the hot signs telling you, you know, sure. especially if you've found a terrain feature that you really like, you know, whatever the case might be, if it's a saddle that's kind of deep in, um, you know, then you, you, you know, you might look at it and say, all right, cool. I'm going to go check this out. You scout your way in. And then if you see some sign as you're getting closer to this terrain feature, all of a sudden that terrain feature is probably going to be a pretty good spot to set up, right? It's like, then you can have the debate whether you set up on the sign or whether you set up in the terrain feature leading to the sign, whatever the case is, but then you know, you're in the game and that's probably how I would approach it. I would do that from a far work um, as much as I could and then scout my way through. Yep. So, agreed. But uh, so I think we'll do one last question, man, because I know you got some stuff going on this evening and I don't want to keep you. And we have a couple more that we'll have to answer. We'll have to, we'll have to cover these off on a, on a, on another podcast, but this one actually, was from this guy. I'm going to call him out. He's kind of an asshole. I don't. I don't really even like him that much. His name's Johnny Utah Mulligan. And what he wrote in was, <laughs> <laughs> what he wrote in was, is put me on blast and said, "How big of a buck are you going to kill in Iowa this year?" So, I think I'll answer that one first, and you can answer. How's that? <laughs> <laughs> I think here's the deal. You're coming in at the right time. Um, I actually went today and. Uh, inter- it finally sat down, introduced myself to the Shimmick Foresters. Mm-hmm. Um, you are hunting, you're going to have access to 6,200 acres. Sweet. Love yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I, I might have mentioned this on a podcast before. I have run up to nine cameras at one time in Shimmick, and I. Have had one picture of one human. Yep. One. And it's just one image of him. And it was a pheasant forever hunter back there. I think he was squirrel hunting though. Right. So, um, 
untapped resource. There was a 189 killed out of there last year. There's always a pile of 160, 70s killed out of there. Um, maybe I shouldn't advertise it that much, but right. <laughs> I was saying, like, oh, take it back. And there's no deer yeah. there. There's no deer there. Yeah, yeah. none. Uh, a couple of raccoons. <laughs> right. So, um, no, but you're you're going to be in a good spot. And here's the thing: you're you've got nothing else to do. Yeah. So like, you know, it's kind of like when people go to an outfitter and mm-hmm. they hunt the morning, then they come in and just hang out in the lodge the rest of the day. Like you're here for two weeks. Yeah. You sit bell to bell and you grind it and you hang and bang and move around. You're going to get a shot at a solid four, five, six year old buck. It's yeah. going to happen. You yeah. know, so I'm very, very confident um, that you're going to have success this year. So yeah, uh, I'm excited for you actually. Yeah. yeah, man. I'm, I'm fired up, dude. I'm pumped. It's like, I keep thinking about it. I try to like keep myself in check as far as like what my expectations are and stuff like that. And so to answer this, the question point pointedly, you know, for me, you know, I'm, I want to kill 185 inch deer. Cause I know 180 inch deer around every tree in Iowa, in Iowa. Yeah. Right. That's, yeah. So, <laughs> of course. so no, I mean, honestly, I want to shoot a mature deer. You know, yep. my, my goal is to shoot a mature a deer that's uh, from a maturity perspective that I wouldn't necessarily get the opportunity to shoot in Pennsylvania, right? So, you know, I would like to shoot a four and a half or older. You know, that would be kind of my my goal. Um, but I would be lying if I told you if a hundred and forty five, hundred and fifty inch deer walked by if I didn't stick an arrow in it. Yep. You, you know what I mean? So, I'm trying to go in and let it be fluid and just you know and know that like you know I don't want to shoot a you know, a, a 130 or whatever, you know, not that there's anything wrong with that, but it's like, I waited four years for the tag. Um, you know, I, I would like to, I would like to shoot something that I might otherwise not be able to get an opportunity at in Pennsylvania. And I don't know what that score means. Uh, I'm hoping the old, the old heart, the old heart rate will tell me when it's time to, to release an arrow, but, uh, oh, I have, oh yeah. You know, from the sign that I saw on the terrain that we, you know, that you kind of walked me through whenever I was out there, it's like I, there's a couple really good setups that I think are going to have an opportunity to produce, and I'm I'm excited for it. So, I can't wait to get the text message from you, and you're like, dude, I just smoked one, and then I'm gonna go, cool. I'm sitting until dark. I'll meet you later. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, the thing was, is I was talking to someone about it because they were like, you know, what do you do? They don't hunt, and they were just asking me questions about it. And I was like, they were like, well, what do you do when you get one? I was like, well like usually i field dress it and then i'll drag it out or whatever and they were like oh they're like well what happens in iowa are you going by yourself i was like well i'm going by myself i was like my my buddy lives out there and i was like you know we're not hunting together per se i was like but he lives right around the corner from where i'm hunting we'll probably see each other just about every day Mm -hmm. and uh they were like you know like well what if you get one out there and i was like well i had to stop for a second i was like wait these aren't pennsylvania sized deer i was like yeah i'm gonna have to wait till dark until he's done hunting to come help me drag it out yeah (laughs) was like which which dude i'm telling you like you have no idea how excited I'll be to help you drag a deer out. You know, dude. that's going to be so awesome. Dude. I'm, I'm looking forward to it, dude. Yeah. I might be drunk when you get there. Just, just FYI. <laughs> <laughs> I've been known to pick up heavy things <laughs> right. a time or two. So I'll gladly do all the work <laughs> right, nice, <laughs> and let nice. you, let you enjoy the celebration. Right. Nice. Well, cool, man. I'll let you, uh, I know you got some stuff going on tonight cause I know you yep. got, you, just uh, getting back from that trip, you're still trying to dig out out of some things, and I know you're getting ready to hit the road to the deer assic here tomorrow too. So don't want to yep. keep you. Uh, thanks for jumping on. We'll get the second half of these questions uh, on the next uh, on the next episode. So until the cool. next time, folks. Thanks, y'all. 
All right, folks, that is a wrap for today's show. I'd like to thank all of you for listening, of course. And if you haven't yet, head, uh, please head over to iTunes and leave us a five-star rating. Uh, and make sure you subscribe to the podcast while you're there. That'd be super rad if you'd be able to do just those two things for me. And before we shut this thing down, we need to give a big shout out to our partners who continue to help us make this podcast possible. Tethered, Exodus Outdoor Gear, Skull Brew Coffee Company, Gumleaf USA Boots, Obsession Bows, Ramcat Broadheads, Trophy Taker Rests, and Dead Down. gang the new truth merch is in stock at truthfromthestand.com and on youtube below any of the truth from the stand videos i've got some new hats beanies t-shirts long sleeve t-shirts and sweatshirts there's even a new do hard shit hat for those of us who like to embrace micro dosing adversity so head to truthfromthestand.com and check out the new gear and use the code truth t-r-u-t-h and save yourself some cash on the new gear